Hello and welcome back. We have finally introduced some regularity to the podcast. We are back once again with you, as promised, to do our London Marathon review. The last podcast was a preview. Now we're recording this on October the 5th, so we're 24 hours kind of gone, if that makes sense. And uh, and we're back. So, as always, welcome in your host, Kieran Clements. And also welcome my co-host and the intro man, Sam Wade. This has I'm, got to be a world record for us. This is, yeah, no, we've, we've done well here. The organization, it's just flowed. None of us were absolutely massively late to record. I know, we've we're doing well. well. proud of us. We're doing well, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Oh, my goodness. Well, I wasn't sure. Oh, go on. I was just going to say, oh, my goodness, what a lot of topics we have to discuss today. Oh, yeah, and we've actually done our research. Yeah, well, you, you've, to, done, uh, you've done your research, and you've just I've, sent me I've some done notes. I've a good amount of research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully you've at least read them. I don't, um, well, I've got them up on my feel... screen now, so I can't get it too wrong. <laughs> there we go, that's good. Yeah, no, I did feel very underprepared for the preview pod, but as long as we review properly, hopefully we'll keep the people happy. Exactly. And give the people what they want. Uh, yeah, to be honest, I wasn't sure whether you were going to be an absolute shell of yourself today or not, because you had some exploits yesterday, didn't you? Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> Covered 26.2 miles across four runs. Just, yeah, tell tell our listeners what you were up to and, yeah, how you went about it, basically. Yeah, so to summarise, anybody who hasn't seen my posts on social media or anyone who maybe didn't listen to the preview podcast... I haven't really been keeping up with the training since March. So obviously was training really hard from uh, January up until March when the original marathon then was cancelled or, or postponed, I should say, and then sort of fell out of love with the idea and had a lot of other stuff going on. So then didn't keep up with it. And then with about two weeks left to go to the virtual marathon, I sort of had a bit of a change of heart. And I was like, well, I guess I should do something because I want to kind of, you know, give justice to my place and basically with no training under my belt at all apart from a few like five mile runs over the last couple of weeks decided yeah I'll just go out and I'll cover all 26 miles in one day um, so to to kind of summarize how I went about it I started just after midnight because the formula that London Marathon gave to everybody for the virtual race was that you can cover the distance inside 24 hours so whether you when you well excuse me whether you want to walk it run it you know crawl it do it on your hands and knees whatever uh, you have 24 hours so for me I decided that I would try and spread it out one because I quite liked it being a bit dramatic you know I want to really like go yeah screw it I'll start at midnight and it looks it looks quite um you know it looks quite dramatic on paper um, and then also because I thought it's going to be my best chance of getting decent recovery between runs um, so started at midnight went out and did uh, just over six and a half miles uh, in the middle of the night and then I did my second run at when was that that was about nine o'clock in the morning that I did that one uh, then went out about half two, three o'clock for another 7.3 miles. And by the time I'd finished that one, it left me six miles left to go. So I went out, it must have been about eight o'clock uh, and basically just pounded round my last six and then I was done. <laughs> yeah, no, some impressive turnarounds there, to be fair as well. Like if I had done, if I had gone for a run at midnight, I would probably be in bed until like midday the next day. <laughs> oh, I took so, it. I took fair it. Ex- play for getting up at nine o'clock. I took it extremely gently on that uh, on that <laughs> first run. Honestly, I am talking like 
I because I because the thing is, truthfully, I was a bit nervous of it all the night before because we had quite a lot of stuff going on like within my family because my little sister, my little sister left to go to university yesterday as well. So you know, there's been stuff move moving around you know and her i had to say goodbye to her and make sure that i spent some time with her but also i was doing that between runs i wanted to watch the elite race like there was just a lot of moving parts yesterday um big big day oh mate crazy day crazy crazy day so um but yeah i did i i went to bed in the end um i did my run at midnight and then got in probably about half one and by the time i'd sort of like done some stretching and done some ice packs and had lots of water to drink and all this sort of stuff it was like half two before I was ready to go to bed. And I thought to myself, That's like, unbelievable. yeah, honestly, like, I, was, I was probably up until about three o'clock and I didn't sleep particularly well either. Um, and I don't know if it was like nervous energy or something like that. Um, but I had my alarm set for half past eight thinking that was quite reasonable. And I just sort of go out as and when. And then I woke up at like seven o'clock and I was just like, let's go. Like, let's just get it done. Um <laughs> So yeah, I did. I did not mess about. But I'm I, one thing I do want to throw out there as quickly as I can is that I owe an enormous amount of thanks to uh, to several people. Uh, lots of people wished me well various on various social medias. Um, but importantly, uh, my friend Sam French, who we've mentioned on the pod before, he actually came out and kind of was my support car at midnight. Um, so the area. Where, okay, that's good. So the area where I ran around, obviously, a lot of the street lights go out, and I was high vised and head torched and you know, shiny white reflective trainers as best I could be. But it was really nice because he sort of came and drove alongside me and um, drove behind me and he had his headlights on when it was in the really dark spot. So it was it was quite nice to know that I had a bit of kind of, yeah, physical support in the nature of it. One, if I fell over and something went horribly wrong straight away, I could get back. And also that I wasn't going to get flattened by a car that I didn't see coming. <laughs> no that is good that is good and then you had some running buddies for the next one am i right in thinking that yeah that's right so uh francis who obviously we know and uh love through steadfast and through the uh through the various races and training sessions that we've done he was kind of doing his long run so i think he did something like 11 or 12 miles that day and he came out and did six of them with us and um and also my friend ollie bart who is not a runner he's more of a cyclist by choice um, but he messaged me and he was like, yeah, mate, I'll come out with you. And he'd never run a 10K before. He'd run he'd run 5K, um, but he'd never run a 10K. And he was like, yeah, mate, I'll come along with you. Just don't go too quick for me. And I was like, yeah, don't worry. I've got no interest in going quick. And um, we went out to the Kesgrove Park Run route. And, uh, did, okay, nice. And we just did just did two laps of that. Uh, so it was good. It was good to have because we all were just you know pl- that, plodding along. That doesn't surprise me whatsoever about Ollie Bob, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Like, obviously no one listening to this or maybe like three or four people listening to this will actually know him but he's exactly the type of person that could just go out and just do a 10k and just be like well what it's a 10k honestly it was quite <laughs> funny by the time we we're fin- me. by the time we we're finishing up he was like what so a marathon's like four of these should we just do it all right <laughs> i was just like for god's sake man <laughs> And he goes, he goes, couldn't be less surprised by that yeah he was just like yeah man we'll just you know like it's just four of these like how hard can it be and i was like i would love to see you burn <laughs> through a 15 miler at alton water oh yeah that's that's where you can really test the minerals yeah that's which it. Well, is where your next run was wasn't yeah, it yeah so perfectly segueing there is um part of the way that i wanted to break up the runs i was sort of thinking about it I, truthfully i was making it up as i went along anybody who thinks i had a plan for yesterday i did not i was really making it up as i went along um but i i, <laughs> I don't know I, th- I think if we if we go back to the previous to last week's pod 
I think you definitely mentioned that you were going to do it in four runs. You definitely mentioned that you were going to try and hit some of the the sweet spots, if you will, of Kesgrove Park Run, Alt Water. So, I, yeah, no, I don't know. I'd say you, and you did the last run on the waterfront, which I know is a good interval spot for you when you did like your 1K alternations and some 400 reps and that sort of thing when you were training for the marathon. Yeah, so. exactly. So I kind of I kind of deliberately engineered it that way. So the first run I did, I just sort of did it because it's just one of my favorite little sort of, I slightly adapted a five mile route to make it a six mile route. Um, so, Is that, was that the one that you dropped the living hell out of me on? Um, yeah. When we went for a run that time. Yeah, yeah that's right. I sort of did. I think I had done, I had done some horrible session in the morning of that day. Um, God, I can't even remember. It was, it was like four by two mile or something like that. So I was already on a good like 12 miles or so for the day. And then yeah, you, something had annoyed you that day. You just started dropping like six tens on me. Yeah, I was, I was, moving. that was horrible. That I was, was a hard that day. And it was raining as well, I remember. Or it was just really dark and horrible. So, so yeah, so I sort of adapted. Was, I think both. Yeah, I adapted, I adapted that route, like I said. And then, you know, Kesgrave was nice because obviously it was so flat. And the other thing is that I was surprised that because I was half expecting there to be like, you know, kids' football or something going on that field. And there was literally no one else there. So it was really nice. We had the whole place to ourselves. We didn't have to dodge anybody. Um, That's quite good. You could probably take it in there as well. Yeah, it also felt quite nice to not be doing it like all out and to not feel my heart trying to jump out of my throat, which was another nice (laughs) feeling because normally I'm running around there at like sub six pace and uh, it felt felt good to not be going quite so fast. No, fair enough. Fair enough. And then, yeah, closed it off around the waterfront then. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like I say. So then, did did this lap of autumn water and just just did the one lap, and um, it was nice again. It was steady. Uh, saw a few sort of walkers and people sort of saw me because obviously I had my race number on, so you had people going like, "Oh, oh what, yeah. what mile are you up to?" and things like that. And it was all really good spirited. Um, oh, that must have been really satisfying as well because you would have been in the twenties at that point, so you could have been like, "Yeah, just." just 24 you know <laughs> yeah so it was pretty relaxed it was good to see that and then for and like i said for alton water uh, my friend callum came out he's uh recently spent a lot of money on a mountain bike so he's desperate to take it across all all different terrains that he can so i just sort of said Look, oh yeah come. well you'll get that alton water yeah <laughs> i was get like just, different terrains yeah, i was like come out across alton water with me i said it'll be a nice step i said it'll be a nice steady route for you on a bike but it'll be really welcoming just to have somebody with me that i can kind of chat to on the way around uh, so that yeah. so that was re- that was really good to uh, to do that. How did, the, did he bike up all the hills, or did he have to walk? Uh, I, th- I d- truthfully I don't know because the thing is obviously he'd like come whizzing past me on the flats and then sort of um, like because I gave him my GoPro and he sort of like went ahead and then filmed a couple of bits of me and things like okay. that. But, wh- but when it came to especially like the because you know how you got some of the hills that are concreted at Alton Water, he sort of yeah. seemed to go up those okay. But a lot of the other ones, I could hear the muddy ones. You could just hear that. <laughs> of like obviously where his wheels were slipping and yeah, i just yeah. i just heard that i i sort of was obviously just maintaining pace and at one point i just heard the term first gear just in the background um which made me laugh oh no that is good but yeah then the water the poor water. poor bike run form though you got to just stay with the runner yeah well yeah but he's just yeah, Callum's Callum's just in his own little world on that bike at the moment. He just he's just having too much fun. He's like a kid with an, he is literally a kid with a new toy. Um, but uh, but yeah, then the yeah, water, well, yeah, literally. Yeah, but then the waterfront, like I say, was great. I basically just my my theory for that was like I've got six miles left. Like I can always do six miles. Doesn't matter what shape I'm in. I will always be able to run six miles. Like that is a promise that I will make to myself. Um, so I just oh, said, 100%. I just said six miles left. Let's go somewhere nice and flat 
where I can be as quick as reasonably possible. I'll put the bouncy shoes on and I'll just see what I've got left in the tank. Went out and psychotically dropped like a 6.30 on like my second mile of that and was like, okie dokie. Yes. Um, but okay. then I had to slow down quite a bit after that because I suffered from like noob runner kind of like, oh, this is really easy. I've got loads left in the tank. And then, bleh, and then that 6.30 <laughs> became a 7.30 come the end. But um, but if Yeah, I'm... and then you suddenly realise running is actually quite hard. Also, interesting thing about Sam's last run on the waterfront, anyone who's kind of listening and wants to check it out, have a look at Sam Strava and tell us how far you think that run actually was because that map was all over the place. Like, honestly, I'm putting the over-under as, like, it could be as little as four or it could be as much as, like, nine miles that you actually did around there. <laughs> that it, map was just ridiculous. It, def- it definitely wasn't It definitely wasn't nine, I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> no, it but, definitely uh, wasn't 6.0, though. <laughs> no, it's it's going to be, it's going to be, yeah, some somewhere on probably, like, a half-mile difference, I reckon. But, um, yeah, but five offici- and a half to six and a half. But, but that, yeah. Officially, like, were, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> the canal for half of it uh, yeah but yeah. yeah no i mean that was a quality effort like yeah honestly of, like i can't stress enough how little you trained for that yeah honest, and to honest. be able to run 26.2 miles in 24 hours probably ran more miles or ran for longer than you had hours of sleep definitely um, definitely which i mean <laughs> That's pretty impressive as well. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't want to—I yeah. don't want to toot my own trumpet or anything on this, but I'm amazed at how kind of okayish I feel about things today. Like my legs feel like they've had a bit of a workout, but you know, I don't feel like I can't walk, and I don't feel like I'm dying and all this sort of stuff. And I think that probably comes by the fact that I took three quarters of that run so incredibly steady and modest. That's probably the yeah. benefit of it. But um, but yeah, I feel really good. And and like I say, go onto my Strava well, and um. Go onto my Strava, and honestly, I put all of my runs, I put 99% of my runs on Strava, and literally go back through my last few months, and you will honestly be able to see how little training I did for that. So to be able to finish at all with some sub-seven miles is astounding as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, that definitely was a quality effort. What I will say, though, is don't get too far ahead of yourself, because you know what the D and DOMs stand for, don't you? Oh, yes, delayed. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, let's check back in with you how you're feeling tomorrow or the next day. And yeah, if you get to if you make it to Wednesday and you still feel all right, then I think you would have gotten away with it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. so that was that was your virtual effort for the London Marathon. But we had another steadfast virtual effort, and I want to give him I'm a real give quick some, shout. I'm going to give some applause in the background. Yes, please do. It is a very warranted applause because this is with all of the elite races and everything that I've seen from people virtually running and things like that. And I've had a good look at, you know, people, what they've been doing on Instagram, Strava, that sort of thing. And I've not seen a performance that beats this one. And I may be biased here, but Jack Rathbone, we shouted him out in the previous pod. I did say that he was going to run a massive PB, but I didn't want to put a time on it because I didn't want to put the pressure on him. No. Turns out I could have said my time that I predicted. My over-under was 330 Jack's previous PB was 3.56. So he goes out, um, and I was on the bike with him around this, so to witness this firsthand was unbelievable. So he runs 3.23 around Bushy Park in pouring rain, like splashing through puddles. His feet were probably soaked for about two miles in. Gross. Uh, no, yeah, no, he's probably... He's probably in pretty rough shape today. <laughs> it was freezing cold. He had like he kept his hat and his jacket on throughout the entire marathon. Which, I can't say I blame I mean, him. <laughs> that, yeah, but I mean that tells you what the temperature was like because 
anyone who's ever run a marathon or anyone who's ever run any distance will know you warm up when you're doing it but yeah no, that that just speaks for how rubbish those conditions were so to run a pb of 33 minutes in those conditions and i think i'm probably getting some rose tinted glasses from being able to just watch it unfold and that was something that i found really fascinating is being able to watch this performance a massive breakthrough performance unfold in real time and see the different stages of somebody running a personal best marathon even just somebody running a marathon just seeing that without also running a marathon yourself yeah is something i think quite few people have actually ever really experienced oh yeah definitely. because i was just like i was just on the bike so i was perfectly relaxed apart from a sore ass at some point <laughs> but <laughs> I saw I saw us at a lot of points. To be honest, the last like ten k of that I was pretty much standing. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's but, an, yeah, to see like to effort. see the periods of struggle, those first couple of miles where he's just really chilling and going a little bit too fast. Right. You know, to be to be able to help him out with nutrition and drinks and things like that, which are things that you wouldn't get in a regular marathon. So to be able to provide that kind of extra level of performance aid i think was really good really kind of a helpful for him and satisfying for me yeah definitely um, and it's probably really important not to kind of underestimate the 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 strength of that, that builds uh for obviously the relationship between you two but i mean certainly for him as a runner is imagine imagine if he'd have gone out and had to do that all basically like by himself like with nobody else there i mean it would have been torturous especially in those conditions so to it have somebody been... next to you just in any facet whether they're running whether they're on the bike you know whatever it might be christ even if you had a dog run alongside you for half a mile you know <laughs> you'd be it, it's just so uplifting so you know you guys probably really really bounced off each other and obviously you got that experience being able to kind of see it from like an actual athletic coaching and performance point of view and he was probably just happy to have a mate with him you know as much as anything else <laughs> yeah definitely well i mean yeah definitely as a coach i learned a lot that day about kind of more, like kind of the mental aspects of the marathon as well as some of the physiological physiological effects that take place in you know those last four to six miles um he actually got a major cramp with about half a mile to go and the last half a mile was run with it was cramping his hamstring Oh, was run with one bent leg and one straight leg. So, oh, nice! Oh, nice! You know those, you know those straight leg bound uh, drills that we do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was basically doing that for half a mile at the end, and still managed to run well under eight minutes for that mile. So nice, quality nice. running. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I mean, um, but what you said about me being there, I mean, I'm sure it definitely did help. Uh, just to have that constant, like, it's quite obvious when somebody's going through a bad patch. So just to give that instant encouragement is definitely helpful. But Huge shout out to Jack's family. They made the journey out there, his fiance and his mum and dad. And they would pop up at sort of random places and random times. And every time he would go past them, it was like this just wave of energy just like came. And the pace always picked up right. whenever we went past them. So nice. that was quality. There was so much support around Bushy Park where we did it. Like, oh, was there? Oh, must amazing. Have been a, must have been 100 other people doing the marathon. And for each of those people, they had, you know, three or four other people supporting them there were people that set up tables with drinks and stuff on it at oh, various incredible. different parts of the park oh it was i think anywhere else in the world it would have probably been a lot harder and it might have even added a couple of minutes onto his performance but because there were so many other people there like it was just so inspiring like he was going past people got overtaken by a couple of people 
you know, you'd crisscross with other people and everyone was cheering for each other. Everyone was giving encouragement. Like, yeah, no, it was quality. We had one moody guy that we ran past him on a kind of a thin part of the path. And he was like, oh, at least try and give two meters. Oh, for God's sake. That was a bit of a, yeah, that was a bit of a downer. But I mean, for the, for the most part, for 99.99% of it, people were so friendly. Like the atmosphere was incredible. Honestly, I mean, there was one corner up uh, up by Hampton Hill Gate. You turned this tight corner and then there was just so many people. There was tables and like maybe 50 people, all like pretty spread out as well. So like social distancing, all of that nonsense. But the noise there was honestly comparable to the noise in like a low-key road race. Amazing. Which, I mean, that's pretty cool. Like, I don't know, you've been to the Ipswich 5K, the atmosphere in certain parts of Bushy was kind of similar to the atmosphere that you'd get going down that long home straight. Oh, wow. In the 5K. So, yeah. yeah, it was really, really cool, really, really inspiring. And basically, as if you, it, the the way I described it to one of my kind of mates around here was, it's almost as if you're leading a road race by a really long way. So there's oh, nobody nice. else running with you, <laughs> but yeah. like the, the support is still there. So, yeah, no, absolutely quality quality performance just an all-around great day despite the weather yeah and it inspired me to absolutely hammer my long run later on that day as well so nice great well, stuff well a couple of things that i'd just like to jump in and say kind of off the back of that and it's really important and we talked about this in somewhat as, as the fact that they've managed to kind of cap capture some of the spirit of london in that way and um and like i say i was kind of against the whole virtual marathon when i first heard about it but by the time i'd done it and i'd been out for some runs and i'd seen other people as well i did start to get that supportive feeling and it sounds to me that you know especially where you guys were in bushy that that spirit of the marathon day was really really upfront and really really warm um and i oh, absolutely and i even noticed it i mean when i went out for when i went out for my 10k at kesgrave obviously it's a short drive um, to get to Kesgrave and I saw half a dozen groups of runners and usually within that group you'd see a couple of people with their race numbers on and I was like you know beeping on the horn hand out the window and every time I did that you know people were cheering and waving back um, and that was just yeah. in a little little town on you know the kind of residential roads so it really did feel like there was a that kind of sense of warmth and sense of spirit um, so that's great just finally the next person I want to give a shout out to is the only other kind of I guess close friend of mine that I know that performed and actually did the did the virtual marathon is uh is georgia obviously we've jo- oh we've, she did yeah with yeah. a pushing a pushing push, rex the whole way yeah. yeah that was quality exactly well um, i've been in some... i dare say she probably ran one of the quickest marathons with a stroller yesterday so <laughs> well we shout were out to her. yeah well i was chatting away to her, obviously in the build-up to you know what are you going to do and she was talking about running it in sections the same way that we had um that i was going to do mm-hmm. and we'd sort of talked about maybe running a section together um and then she sort of i messaged her in the morning just saying you know saying whatever i said and then come the end of the day come the end of the day i was sort of going like well, how's she getting on i haven't seen anything on strava and it just pops up that she's just done the whole crack in one go um and yeah like you say she had rex with her in the push chair and i don't know exactly what her time was i think it was just over four hours um which with a push chair in tow is, is some going. i was gonna say four hours sounds about right to me for what i saw on strava yeah and um she was telling me that like at one point she like stopped off to just buy a drink from a shop or something and um she got chatting to somebody and the bloke sponsored her 20 quid 
um and lovely amazing and she was running for each as well so she was raising some money for each she uh, kindly sponsored me as well 15 quid so uh like i say the whole the whole spirits for for the whole day have been really high and i got lots of support off social media and things as well so yeah so in, in terms of the virtual you know 40,000 plus community spirit um it did come through a lot more than i could have ever expected so i've been thoroughly impressed with the day so well done georgia well done jack and uh thank you to everybody who you know helped support me yeah absolutely well done you as well yeah no i know what you mean like i previous to yesterday i was not really a huge fan of virtual events but yeah something about that just really i mean they took the london marathon global like it's already a global event like people from all around the world come in to do it but to see it happening kind of all over the country and all over the world, just seeing that many people out running, I think, yeah, definitely has a pretty big impact and it really does hit home just how special the London Marathon is as an event. Definitely, so, definitely. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we get the proper one back next year, um, which Jack has entered for, and then you're doing it in 2022 in April, aren't you? That's so, right, yeah. Yeah, this is, certainly haven't seen the last of us at the London Marathon, but Never. moving away from the kind of the mass participation and the virtual event and stuff like that we did have a real london marathon elite race and in, in london yeah imagine that <laughs> <laughs> crazy days um so as we mentioned kind of last week the majority of our focus of the pod was on the elite race so we'll take kind of a deep dive into the results here uh, should we start off with the elite women i think that's the right place to start and a bloody early start at that <laughs> kicking off yeah, at quarter past seven seven fifteen yeah madness <laughs> uh, but i mean well and we still don't know where this elusive elite athlete bubble was so no idea how far they would have had to travel to get to the race i saw ailish mccolgan on instagram said that her alarm was set for three forty-five in the morning i heard one I, mean, I heard one thing say that it was about an hour back to the hotel right okay well yeah. that's that's interesting because so I obviously know what the procedure is for the elites for the normal London race because I did it last year when I was pacing. Yeah. And you stay at the Tower Hotel right next to Tower Bridge, obviously, aptly named. And what you do is you walk kind of down the road to these big red London buses. You get on the bus and then you get the bus to Greenwich. Yeah. And all of that process takes about an hour. So that's interesting. That it's yeah about the same amount of travel time. So that shouldn't have been too different. Um, obviously, the start time is a little bit earlier but i actually really liked the the way they split it up so that there was full focus on the elite women then full focus on the elite men and then full focus on the wheelchair races i thought that was really cool yeah well i guess kind of by the nature of trying to distance it and keep groups as small as they reasonably could be um yeah yeah it was it was the only way they were going to do it really wasn't it so um but it was it yeah, was well, good I mean, to, I... to see the formula like that yeah, I, I really liked it like that because it meant the athletes really did get the kind of screen time, air yeah. time that they deserve. Yeah, and the British like the British race, which is usually completely forgotten within the London Marathon, that got a lot of airtime as well, which probably my favourite thing out of that because both British races ended up being quality battles between the top two as well. So, yeah, no, I don't know. I, I really like that format. I'd like to see similar formats in the future although i don't think we're going to see it happen um when the mass participation races come back but i don't know for me personally there's nothing more frustrating than missing the move the big move in an elite race yeah because they've just cut to somebody jogging along <laughs> yeah thing like yeah. yeah i don't know it's just it, 
it's not for me. Some people love that sort of thing, but you know, to each their own. I really like this year's format. But anyway, we we digress onto the elite women's, and I mean, we called it, didn't we, with the winner at least? That was about the only thing that went to script. But Proskai yeah, absolutely dominant won the race by three minutes three imagine winning a race by three whole minutes especially in i mean how how long is one of their laps one of their laps is probably only about six minutes so it's about yeah about six about <laughs> imagine seven minutes, I, I tell you what imagine somebody running a long like one of the longer track races like a 10k imagine somebody w- winning it by like 100 meters or 100 or 200 meters for like i guess a kind of comparison you'd never see it would you well i mean yeah i the golfing class between Koskai and the rest of the field is just that, that I'm sure if they put that race on the track, she probably would win it by a pretty big margin. She probably would have lapped just about everybody in the race. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of all doubts that anyone had about Koskai, I think, are, and her fitness are pretty much gone now. Um, obviously, after she ran that one-hour race and just never really looked to attack against Hassan, who was obviously always going to outkick her people, kind of were raising question marks and stuff about what kind of shape she was in but that yeah that was a dominant performance the time wasn't quite there but i don't think the, i mean the time wasn't there for many people today or, the, or yesterday even but one person the time was there for was sarah hall of america Ooh, where i mean where where did she keep that reserve gas tank that's what i want to know <laughs> well that was just unbelievable that finish i mean you talk about motivation and kind of how that can affect performance. And that was a prime example right there of Sarah Hall versus Cheppen Gatage. Cheppen Gatage looked for a time kind of around about the halfway mark and just after. I honestly, I thought she was going to win and run away from Koskai because I was kind of one of the people that was like, oh, I don't know, like Koskai is not quite what she was when she ran, you know, the world record. She ran that fast half marathon at the Great North Run. Um, and yeah, Chef and Gatage was looking really good and actually pulled away from her a couple of times. Yeah. But obviously paid the price for that. Chef and Gatage, as well as the world champion in the marathon uh, from Doha, which I mean, she's a quality, quality athlete. But the motivation for her to finish second versus the motivation for Sarah Hall to take that scalp and to finish second, I think that was the difference in the day. That was a mean kick from Sarah Hall. Yeah, that kick was. That kick was. Like I say, that she had an afterburner or something hidden somewhere to be able to pull that out, and um, it was great entertainment. Just that last, that last little bit as she went round, and you could just see, like, you could see it in her eyes, couldn't you? She was almost like, "Where have I just suddenly got that from?" Like it was incredible. <laughs> it was incredible just to see that kind of like shock to to like to everyone's surprise. Like I say, that she managed to summon up such a ruthless kick. It was to everyone's surprise, but at the same time, right, so she had a 13-second deficit with 400 metres to go. I just knew she was going to get her, and I think a lot of people probably had that thought as well. Like, you could just see from the body language and the way she was running and the way Chef and Gator just sort of... She didn't know she was coming, and I think she was kind of giving up and just trying to get to the line herself. Yeah, And when she got to her, there was absolutely... There was nothing she could do. Like, she just blew by. We should chat out the time as well because 2.22 and one second uh, would have been great to have seen a dip under, but still, two hours, 22 minutes, one second. It's a PB by about 15 seconds in horrible conditions. I'd say that's worth, I mean, yeah, it's worth more than that. But Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that puts her, off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure she was already sixth on the US all-time list, and I think that kind of just 
keeps her in there, but makes it a little harder for anyone to overtake her with that extra that extra fifteen seconds. But the one of the most interesting things is Sarah Hall, who has now beaten the world champion in a race, finished second at the London Marathon. She's not going to go to the Olympics. It does. It sounds a bit wrong when you say it like that, doesn't it? It does. It does. But that's just that's the system. Yeah, the U.S. trials cast our minds back to when everything was normal in February. Sarah Hall is in the lead pack through 19 miles, and then at 20 miles, she's nowhere to be seen. 22 miles, we stopped getting splits, and yeah, Sarah Hall dropped out of the U.S. Olympic trials. Which, by the way, U.S. Olympic trials, I think, is the greatest marathon race on planet earth okay it's just it's such a spectacle yeah i must and admit i do remember, yeah, I do I remember know, there's always it. carnage <laughs> carnage. <laughs> there really is and yeah but yeah sarah hall dnf the u.s olympic trials alphine tulamuk molly seidel who also ran really well in london she ran a pb of 225 13 but again three minutes behind sarah hall and she goes to the olympics and sarah doesn't it's it's not unfair because she beat, she ran the race at the trials to get there. And the Olympics is a race. It's not a time trial. And London this year, I'd say was more of a race than a time trial, but yeah, I don't know if you, if you don't have it on the day, then that's just, it's just tough luck. And America have the strength and depth to be able to kind of have that system in yeah. place. So no, I agree. Well, it's, yeah, just, why it's, not? The, it's the savagery of sport at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the third member of that American Olympic team was Sally Kipiego, uh, former Kenyan, and I think medalist in the World Cross Country, I think, and maybe even may have also won some other medals um, on the world level. But either way, a quality athlete who's sort of, I don't think she'll mind me saying, not that she'll ever hear this, but is in probably the twilight of her career. But we'll get to go and compete at the Olympic marathons. Yeah, who knows what she'll do. Um, but yeah, that was... That was kind of the elite women, like the to the battle for the top three, and we also had a pretty pretty fascinating British race. Yeah, so I I'll be honest, I was out running at the time when the bulk of the women's race was uh, getting in, <laughs> getting in the hot bit, so I haven't really caught up on all of that yet. So you're gonna have to fill in. I saw obviously the uh, the sort of finish for the uh, for the top top three spots, but uh, you're gonna need to mm-hmm. fill me in on the uh, on the women's British race. Right. Well, I mean, we've got plenty to say about this one. So first of all, I think I don't know if we explicitly said in our last podcast that it was the Olympic marathon trials for the British team, but it wasn't basically. Right. So there's talk of them having another trials at a later date, potentially in kind of February, March kind of time next year. Oh, brutal. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Why this wasn't the Olympic trials. I have no idea. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of the politics or anything like that. I don't think they can realistically retrospectively make this the trials. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't the trials, but you were allowed to make, you were allowed to produce Olympic qualifying times in this race and they were going to count. The qualification was, the suspended qualification period was lifted for those running the time. But the other way that you can qualify for the olympics is finishing the top 10 at a world marathon major but they kept that suspension on that i guess because of the reduced fields i don't know but that was that suspension was still there but it was still a british championship race so you know you're racing for a national title that's still i think enough on the line to be pretty juicy yeah definitely um 
And yeah, it ended up just being an absolutely quality race between Natasha Cockrum and Naomi Mitchell, who Naomi Mitchell went into this with a 2.37 personal best, which, you know, there's there's probably a lot of people that were watching that that may have seen the start list and was like, oh, she's done well to you know get herself in the race. And there she was right up there at the front of the British women racing for a British title. So Natasha Cockrum got the edge over her in the end. Not by a lot, though. So she was 233.19 to Naomi Mitchell's 233.23. Oh, and it really yeah, did so just... really it, nothing in there. Well, it, they were running right side by side until the last, like, 400 metres, basically. And Naomi Mitchell actually dropped Cockrum for quite a long time. And she was just sort of off the edge, but she just never got that... Never kind of broke the elastic and really ran away from her. So... Corcoran was able to reel her back in and they ran together for a few miles, a few laps. And then, yeah, just with 400 to go, it just turned out Corcoran just had a little more left and maybe wanted it a little bit more. I don't know. I'm sure they both really, really wanted it. But yeah, she got the time. Interestingly enough, there were four finishers in the British kind of British champs race for the women. And none of them have ever run the qualifying time for the Olympics and none of them ran it in this race, which 2.29.30. So there's not really been much of a qualification shake-up as you thought there might have been. Um, I think the hopes of a lot of, I think the hopes of probably every British woman going into the London Marathon this year were to run the time. But yeah, I don't know. They just didn't shake out in the end. Um, there wasn't there wasn't conditions for fast running. No, I think people maybe went out a little bit too hard as well. Well, that's um, when I, when the race first started, the elite women's race first started. That's what I thought is everyone looked like they were really going for it at the start. Like I I, I got really uh, excited for the rest of the day because they were going out, and I thought to myself, "Cool, yeah, this does look quite quick." Um, but like you say, it seems like the conditions sort of took their toll. Yeah, no, I think they definitely did. Um, I mean, obviously, it was raining and that's not ideal the floor like i don't know how well those kind of super shoes deal with a wet surface either i think because they're such a new thing like it's relatively untested like we don't know like is there a tra- was there a traction issue running there and yeah people well, were just you know spinning their wheels but not really getting anywhere well and especially it's because they're certain i found this just with my shoes and to be fair my shoes were a lot grippier yesterday than i was fearful than they could have been um, but uh, they're obviously very tall shoes, said super shoes. Um, yes. So the last thing you want is to be, you know, unsure of your footing. And obviously track bend, you know, you've got that sort of, it was almost one continuous bend, wasn't it? And the last thing you want is to be leaning in on an angle um, for those. That's very true. Yeah. Very I mean, high off the ground. There was what, 19 and a half laps. Yeah. And the so course, it, it was only what, like one. Yeah, that's nearly, that's nearly 40 lap. corners. Yeah. over over the course of a marathon that's quite a lot of you know turning and those shoes as we know don't really turn particularly well so i don't know but that's that's the way the course had to be and it was the same for everybody and some people ran really well people like naomi mitchell natasha cochran sarah hall Koskai, and yeah others just kind of struggled with the weather the conditions and the course that's just the way it is yeah but to highlight just how brutal the day and just the marathon in general was only 18 of 25 of the elite women women's field finished. That's 72%. Wow. So that's yeah. a tw- yeah, 28% dropout rate. So that shows 
it was tough. Yeah, well, um, amongst that, Suffolk runner Helen Davies, who obviously we've sort of talked about in the pod before, and uh, you know, a bit of a local. Yeah, who I know had legend, had yeah. ambitions and yeah, not not unrealistic ambitions of running the time on um, on Sunday, and I'm sure she'll look back at that as possibly an opportunity missed to have a real good crack at a British title, uh, especially with DNS from Lily Partridge and Steph Twelve. Uh, but do you know what? Again, like it's just the conditions are just brutal and when it's not there in a marathon it's just it's not there there's no saving it yeah well what's the what is the point in pushing yourself continuously through such a horrendous race you know it's not like you've done your 23 miles and you've only got you know a few left so you may as well get there we're talking people were struggling from literally like you know 10 miles in 10k in some people you could tell are really having a rough time yeah exactly so when you've got 32k to go and you're already hurting oh it makes you shudder just saying it doesn't it (laughs) not a position you want to be in but yeah i mean if anyone else had finished any other british woman they would have automatically had a top five finish at a british championship so you know there is that if you wanted to jog around for three hours and say yeah finish (laughs) fifth at british champs that's you could have done but they're all obviously sustain everyone in that in field was an elite cold, performer yeah. and yeah, yeah exactly well they're all elite performers and i think just about everyone in the british women's field would have had their sights set higher than how they performed on that day yeah so yeah well brutality yeah absolutely well speaking of brutality should we move on to uh the men's race wow wow where oh where <laughs> do you start should we just start with the big one yeah, we'll he's mortal with the, with the uh, <laughs> R.I.P. the king. But it just yeah, he's been dethroned. He had well, it was it was bizarre to watch um, because it all started quite normally up the front, pushing the pace, you know, trying to. And there was one point in particular as well where we sort of what I saw is there was almost a like, you know, not necessarily discernible, but maybe. A, like a gap of a meter or half a meter between Kipchoge and then you know the next person in the group and it was almost like he was running in the line with the pacemakers rather than running just behind them and that to me gave mm. the impression of like okay yeah he wants to go already but he's going to just run a little bit more tactically and then it became apparent yeah that, which and then it sort of became apparent that he wasn't going to go and then he stayed with it and then it was and then the commentators started talking about how slow it was and it was all a bit strange. It was a very, that's one of the strangest elite races over the marathon that I've seen because, you know, the women's one, other than Sarah Hall having an absolutely huge performance, it pretty much went to form with Chip and Gatich and Koskai, you know, finishing first and third. Um, but yeah, this one was just crazy and they just they never looked up for it at any time and i don't know if it was the pacers just kind of for want of a better word just kind of screwed it up for everybody else by not going quick enough or maybe the field just couldn't go with the i it's really weird i don't under i don't really understand i'm still struggling to get my head around what happened there like why are these guys Kipchoge, for example, who's been known to drop miles in like the mid four twenties. Yeah. Why is he now getting dropped with a four fifty? There was one you know, like it's there was one point when they were running and there was still a decent sized group of them. Yeah, there was like, you know, ten athletes in that group. And they were running five mm. minute miles, which to everybody else sounds psychotic. But when you consider, like you say, these guys are, are usually in the mid fours, quite comfortably in the mid fours. Yeah, well, yeah, they're 
430 highs, 440 lows would be a pretty comfortable pace for them. You know, in a marathon, if somebody surges, you might get one under 430. If it really, really slows, you might be looking at 450. But a five-minute mile for these guys is almost unheard of. Yeah. I mean, like maybe in like Boston of, I can't remember what it was, I think 2017 when they had those crazy conditions and um, Kawauchi ended up winning the men's race from a whole host of crazy fast runners. But this wasn't the weather conditions. It wasn't Boston weather conditions. It wasn't that. It wasn't enough, if that makes sense, to kind of hold them back quite this much. And so I don't really understand what was going on there with the tactics and the, own... the pacemakers just not really doing their job. Well, the only thing that I could have th- could think of is is what, you know what if somebody yeah you know, what if Kipchoge or someone who whoever sort of woke up and just said to the pacers, yeah, because they they were instructed to go through half at about sixty one, weren't they? It was it was set to be really quick. Yeah, they went like sixty three. Yeah, you know, so um, you know, comparatively to obviously that that much of a difference. Um, what if what if one of them just you know, what if Kipchoge woke up or someone and just said, guys, like I'm not up for this today, like slow it down. Like, is that a possibility or is it you get contracted for what you get contracted and that's what you're going to run? You know, like I don't understand if if it was that or if it could just be that the pacers were having an off day and if you're in the group you've got to you've just got to trust that the pacers aren't having an off day and they're doing what they've been told like you know you can obviously give some insight on this yeah no well i can give insight from my perspective it might be different at the front of the race but from where i was yes the athletes do have a say and they have in my mind as a pacer i took more direction from the athletes than I did kind of the technical director and, you know, the, the kind of instructions that you got from go this pace, this split, this split, this split, this split, because London, we all know is notoriously fast in the first 5k and most guys want to bank time in that first 5k. So they'd say like, yeah, I know they've told you run even split 505s, but let's just go 455 through the first three miles, bank a bit of time. And then, just maybe chill going through through half like over the bridge or whatever like just we can take a little bit of time to relax and gather ourselves a little bit maybe drop some 508 or so yeah yeah so uh, it was it was all a bit strange to to kind of see it unfold in that way yeah to be that far off I don't know. I, I think there's probably going to be some uh, investigation for this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, not investigations. I just, yeah, maybe they might not get paid the full amount or something like that. Just because Kipchoge looked to be motioning for them to go faster. So it wasn't, I don't think anyone would have said to them, right, let's, let's just slow it down because it's raining and it's tough. Like that's, that's just not the mindset of, of an, an elite sport, athlete, yeah. especially not an elite marathon runner. At, like at that level especially not an east african elite marathon runner like the mentality of these guys is to just go for it and just hang on for as long as you can do as fast of a pace as you can and just if you drop you drop if you don't you've made it exactly and that's yeah that just didn't seem to happen and it wasn't like it was crazy slow and tactical like it wasn't like they were running with the second and third group and everyone was all together running through halfway in like i don't know 65 65 30 they were still ahead and there were still clear groups on the road but they just weren't that top group just weren't as far ahead as you think and actually it was quite cool that the winner of the british champs race didn't get lapped yeah (laughs) which was one of our predictions we should call back to our predictions that we made in the last pod because we got it horribly wrong literally 
I don't think we got a single thing right in terms of the men's race. Well, I think except for how the British Champs race would shake out. Well, here we go. I'm going to say, did did we jinx it? Because I remember distinctly saying to you, saying to you, sat in this exact same seat with this exact same setup last week, is I said to you, when was the last time you saw Kipchoge not at the front of a marathon? And lo and behold, <laughs> we got to the halfway point and all of a sudden there were people up with him. There were people going past him. Oh my goodness, he's starting to drop back. Like, it, yeah, maybe we jinxed it, mate. Maybe we did this. Maybe we did. I mean, we were predicting world records. We were predicting all sorts Kip of Choge just to run away with it. We were saying, okay, like, Geremu and Wasihan might give him a sh- bit of a shout, a bit of a scare. But yeah, we basically we hung the medal around his neck and gave him a world record to go with it as, as the was, rest yeah. of the world probably did well yeah i think so and rightly so i mean as we mentioned last time the only marathon he'd ever lost before yesterday was when he finished second to a dirty drugs cheat who ran the world record that day yeah so... well the the other thing as well is that was um that was so crazy is that do you wonder if then maybe tactics kind of from people like Garamu came into it because I noticed and uh, I think the commentary announced it a few times as well is I think Garamu's plan was just to sit with Kipchoge no matter what because he was always going to be the threat as it were um and yeah and, no and, I, I agree I think that did definitely come into it I think that was his plan and that's that could be the main reason why he didn't win I mean he finished back in what fourth or yeah, fifth was it yeah I think it, I, one of the two I can't remember exactly but but it makes you wonder if he almost was... yeah it was yeah Garamu fourth Wasihan fifth who I mean those were our two that we thought you'd think if Kipchoge is going to have a bad day those will finish one two yeah definitely definitely so um it makes you wonder if because they obviously was probably so concerned with what's he what's he doing what's he doing that they weren't you know they probably and i'll tell you what the mentality where do you reckon the mentality switched to oh my god it's not his day like at what point do you reckon it was like we can do this we're gonna have him like because you've got to have a set of minerals on you to to go like okay the greatest ever is not having a good day. We're going to go and see what happens. <laughs> yes. Like you've got, you've got to really trust and really want to play that gamble to, to do it. And it sounds to, and it feels like to me that Garamu maybe thought to himself that he was going to just leave it, just leave it, just leave it after obviously what happened last year. Um, yep. And, and yeah, and as, as a result, he may be kind of, you use that term mental elastic earlier. Maybe he was letting the mental elastic, you know, maybe he was li- leaving it too tight to Kip Joe, when actually he could have pushed it and stretched it out even further. Yeah, well, he should have been focused on the rest of the race, to be honest, yeah, yeah. instead of just him. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point that you bring up there, as in, as like, when did they truly believe that it wasn't going to be his day and he wasn't just kind of rope-a-doping them into a false sense of security and then come past them in the last 2K? Yeah, exactly. I think there's only one, I think only one person in that pack believed that they were having the day over Kipchoge. And that was Katata who eventually went on to win. Because you saw the way he... And we haven't even mentioned that yet. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah we should probably give the a massive shout out to Katata, the eventual winner. The Ethiopian wins the race in 205.41 in a sprint finish. But the way he run it, it was really, really ballsy. Yeah. Like, he just went to the front and he just pressed and pressed and pressed and pressed. But I think... It was probably around 22, 23 miles that he went to the front and just wound up that pace. Yeah. And eventually when Kip Chumba came up to challenge him in the home straight, he just sort of looked across, let him get a yard, and then just sort of, you could see that switch in his brain where he was like, no, I've done all this work. 
I can't, I've got Kipchoge I can't let it go in now, my yeah. I've got Kipchoge in my rear mirrors. He's done. He's dealt with. I'm gonna win this race. I'm gonna be the one that everybody remembers from today. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was a really, really good way to to it was a really cool way to see him win that race. And yeah, a very, very well deserved victory. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I thought it was great to watch. He finished fourth last year as well in the race that obviously Kipchoge famously dominated from Wasi Hernan's um and Garamu both running crazy, crazy fast times. He was 205.01 last year. And he wasn't, like, you wouldn't have picked him coming into this. He finished eighth at Houston half marathon back in January. Um, I think just a shade under 60 minutes, which, I mean, that's pretty good. But, like, also Brett Robinson ran under 60 minutes in January. So, you know, you wouldn't expect Brett Robinson to be up there kicking for the win in the London Marathon with all due respect to him he's a phenomenal athlete Australian record holder I think over the half but the, the thing yeah is, no he just it, Katata just had a different class there today well and the thing is something that we can talk about and this is something obviously we've mentioned on the pod before uh, in our greatest races series and we've talked about it just kind of throughout you know the relationship of our talk of talking about running is the best racers don't have to be the fastest racers and also the fastest athlete. You don't have to be the fastest athletes to necessarily be a great racer. Like look at Mo Farah, obviously up until, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he never owned a world record or anything like that. You know, it was never really, I think in contention. Never even really come close. And it's, but it wasn't for lack of trying as well. Like there's a couple of times where he had gone out to try and run a really fast 10,000, for example, and just just run a really fast 10,000, but come absolutely nowhere near the world record or don't know if he even got the world lead when he tried doing it before but exactly but yeah no but famously he's an excellent racer through strategy and things like that because he could make the field or he could adapt his race as it was happening to to make it work for him and and you've just got to look at yesterday and go was that a key example of of exactly that thing is it didn't need to be the fastest run to be a great race and to make the actual racing strategy play into somebody's hands and, and amazingly like we've said yesterday that that person wasn't Kipchoge he what he is mortal <laughs> Kipchoge I saw a tweet uh, he I saw a, I saw a tweet that said uh, Kipchoge just got 20 <laughs> that's a really good tweet actually no he definitely did yeah as if this year couldn't get any weirder we've got the absolute under undisputed goat of the marathon finishes eighth in a race yeah that's that's quite a good way of describing it. He did get absolutely twenty twenty. I tell you, I but... tell you what though, it's really interesting actually because I I thought this to myself as you could tell that something wasn't right because there was actual like wait for it there was facial expressions from him like you could actually tell that he wasn't like you know you could tell he was in pain and um, yeah you could see that he was looking uncomfortable. I mean he did that kind of I think he tried to do the smile that he normally does when he's kind of hurting a little bit, but it did come across more as a, uh, maybe we're just reading too much into it here, but it did look like it came across more of a, as like a grimace at that time. I think the first time I I noticed it was a smile and then it quite quickly became a grimace within a mile, (laughs) within a mile or three afterwards. Um, The thing that Mm. I was going to say is that I think it probably speaks volumes of how much of an off day that he was having for him to finish so low down the field. Um, You know, that I think had it been, well, I think I'm not so sure about that because he wasn't a million miles off the off the lead. I mean, he got a minute and eight seconds put into him by Katata. So he finished eighth, but he was in 206.49, which we could call back as well. Like that's his personal worst in a big city marathon. He ran slower at Rio when he won the Olympics. He ran 208, but 
that's kind of a different kettle of fish. But yeah, that's the slowest that he's actually run a marathon in in a world marathon major, which I think that's pretty significant. I mean, the pace wasn't there for him to run much quicker anyway. I think had he won the race, it also probably would have been the slowest that he'd ever run a world marathon major. Yeah. But when he wasn't going to win, I don't think he was going to try and hold on for, you know, fifth or sixth or whatever. I think that pack was so tightly kind of so tightly grouped together. I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't don't think it says a huge amount about how much he was struggling. I think when the win went, I think his head probably went a little bit as well, which it seems a strange thing to say about somebody who is so headstrong as Kipchoge. But yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't, everything he had on that day yeah it's a it's a very, it's a very interesting conversation but uh but yeah my uh, my instant thought on it was uh, and not that this will tarnish the glory of it but obviously you know there it's that it's not the fact that i the one problem that i have in terms of and i wouldn't ever tarnish a winner of a world london marathon or world marathon major because you can't do it because it's an astonishing achievement but I don't think it's not like Kitata's going to be remembered as the man that beat Kipchoge, you know, because it's not like they were a mile left and they were neck and neck and it was, you know, it was, it came down to the wire. It was a case of, you know, Kipchoge was out of the picture and somebody had to win it. And I feel like that's probably more yeah, that's how it will be remembered. Um, and that's not to say that that's It will necessarily... be remembered as the day that Kipchoge had a really bad run. Oh, it... yeah. And Kitata also won. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's a shame that it will be remembered like that. But I agree. I think it. I think it definitely will. I tell you who I want to talk about though is I want to talk about Kip Chumba for a second because because one he's a giant. Like, <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. I'm a big. I'm a big Kip Chumba fan. After yesterday, I I would have really liked to have seen him win it. I'm pleased that Katata win it because I really respect the front running way that he did it. But yeah, Kip Chumba. This guy is 30 years old. His personal best is. He probably had the worst personal best of that league group. He's 205, 206 kind of guy. Right. He won Vienna and Amsterdam Marathon in 2019. But his record, like, you you just wouldn't have picked him no. to finish second or anywhere near the podium in this race. You'd have been like, yeah, Chumba, like, maybe he'll run a big personal best or something, finish, like, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth. But, yeah, for him to finish second and to race in the way that he did, I mean, he just didn't have the legs in the end. That's that's the reason he didn't win yeah but yeah no i thought it was quality 30 years old as well so he's probably probably just about reaching his peak as a marathon runner yeah no i think it was great plus he's an adidas athlete as well so that's um oh yeah tells you something about those flats well shall i tell you what shall we then move on to one of your other notes um you know moving on from everything else is that um yeah, let's talk about shoes because obviously there was so much conversation about shoes coming into this. And even after Bridget Koskai yes, was, was. Would, had been interviewed and she'd won the race and obviously everyone was going like, oh, you know, the shoes. And she had to really come out and quite firmly say, no, it's the athlete that does the work, not the shoes. And then for the men's race, I don't think anybody, did anybody in the top five have alpha flies on? Not from my memory. I'm pretty sure Kipchoge was the only one wearing Alpha Flies in the whole race. I think everyone else went for the next percents or whatever their kind of sponsor shoes were, whether it be yeah, New Balance or Adidas or yeah. you know, whatever it was. Before we talk about how much the non-factor shoes were, though, I do want to give a shout out to Mr. Third Place. So Lemma, who finished third in the race in 205.45, 
he just can't seem to break out of third place. He also finished third in Tokyo earlier in the year in 2020. Remember the elite only race there Through and in Berlin in 2019. Yeah. So at some point, I really, I, I want to see Lemma win a big major marathon. Maybe <laughs> he'll do it at the Olympics. Who knows? Or maybe he'll do it at Boston or London next year or something. But I'm, I'm just calling it now. I want Lemma to get out of third place. I want to see him win a big marathon. Okay, right. Shoes. Yeah. So they, yeah, they they weren't a factor, and we'll talk about this later about how the top two in the British trials were in New Balance shoes versus like I mean it wasn't like there was a lack of next percent and alpha flies in that race either. No. no but and... yeah, no first first in vapor flies, second in Adidas. I honestly couldn't tell you what Lemma had on his feet. I'm pretty sure it was vapor flies. Cross guy, I think was in the alpha fly. Wasn't she, she was, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, there was there was a good kind of mixture of them, so it wasn't. Yeah. The other thing that big... I saw as well is I'm never sure how you pronounce it, whether it's ASICS or ASICS or whomever, how you say it. But um, I noticed a few people. Uh, I think there was one of the women. Don't ask me who was uh, was in prototypes of those as well. Um, so there was clearly. Oh, of course, yes, Sarah. I'm pretty so sure Sarah, Sarah Hall is an ASICS athlete. Yeah. So. Um, so there has been I should know this but yeah no, <laughs> i think she would have been wearing asics trainers yeah, yeah you're right you're right so there and has been shout a... out to her as well coached by her husband who was a former marathon runner for the u.s i think he ran something like 205 in the boston marathon one year so ryan hall and is now absolutely huge like if you want to see a transformation google ryan hall before and after training for the marathon and it's pretty impressive right okay but yeah, no, he was an ASICS athlete, she's an ASICS athlete, and those guys have uh, they've got a lot of belief in that brand, and yeah, it really, really paid off for them today. Again, like we said, shoes being a non-factor. Also, shout, another shout-out to them. They adopted a bunch of kids from Ethiopia, and that's like their family now, which wow. is really cool. I think one of them has just gone to college and is in like the NCAA system, um, so awesome stuff there. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. But yeah, so it's just, like I said, it's, it's remarkable to to have adapted the fact that the conversation going in was so heavily focused because this is one of the first sort of major marathons in anger where the alpha flies have been kind of available to everyone like retail included um you know so people mm. like you and me can actually get our hands on them and, and learn them and understand them and see how good they are or they aren't um so it's astounding to and obviously since um since 159 last year as well where they caused all the fuss so it's really interesting to kind of have seen them null and void. And I and do you know what part of me did think about the wet conditions in that because I don't know if you noticed this, but when they were doing the kind of head and shoulders shots of the athletes when they were running around, the one thing that I couldn't help but notice is how much water was actually like kicking up, you know, up to literally like up to shoulder level, um, off the ground, literally yes. puddles and puddles yeah. and puddles of it. Like it was it was really quite remarkable to notice. So it does make you then wonder, is it a traction thing? Was it the fact that it was a lapped course and you didn't have those extreme straight lines like you do in some other big marathons? There's just so, so many moving parts, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think both of those would have played a part. You mentioned the alpha flies as well. And yeah, I think my theory on the alpha fly is basically just that they're not that good. I think they made, obviously, an amazing prototype for the breaking two. But I think the differences between that one and the one that's now been released and is like now the one in circulation that they're giving to all the Nike athletes and stuff like that. I think the prototype was probably just way better. And I'm pretty sure if I remember right, it had a higher stack height. 
but yeah, I just I, I don't rate this. I don't rate this version of the Alpha Fly that's come out. I think that they the prototype was probably better, but the IAAF rules something something in those rules must have kind of meant the prototype couldn't be released to the public. Hmm. And they've now come out with this other Alpha Fly, which simply isn't as good. Interesting. And from what I've seen, from what I've seen, I rate the next percent above the Alpha Fly. Interesting. Perhaps the Alpha Fly would perform better in a marathon with a bunch of straight lines and it's dry and all of that sort of thing. But for the race that unfolded yesterday, I think Vaporfly was the decision to go for for the next percent. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, because Kipchoge could have never have done it because he was wearing his own edition alpha flies yes um, he was yeah so he would have never been able to make the decision either way because he is kind of you know as he said the shoes are part of his legacy you know he has kind of been part of the development and the proof and the proof of the pudding really he's been part of the reason that people believe in these shoes so it's really interesting to hear you say that and i know obviously your opinions on them have been mixed the whole way through um but to kind of to kind of see it turn into what it did yesterday and to see that the you know but then again if we'd have it's crazy because like I say Costco was wearing alpha flies and a load of the, I think a fair few people will be wearing alpha flies in races to come I know that the um Olympic trials that you mentioned I think the top top three or four people for that were all wearing alpha flies so, yeah well that was a strange thing is that yeah they did seem to make a difference in the u.s trials for some reason for whatever reason um and i think yeah Jakob ingebrigtsen and um in various races because i think he set like the norwegian record and things like that for the 5k and i think he was wearing them whilst he did that um you know like yes, the, the, was, not yeah. the track version so it's really interesting to see both sides of the same coin um certainly my opinion is i've had a bit of a not an epiphany with running shoes, but I I now am gonna. I I've decided that I want to diversify my shoe profile so that when I do want to start training seriously, I can actually do it. And uh, and just because I'm a fan of kind of Kipchoge and the legacy that's been created and kind of how my attitude towards certain things have adapted. Uh, as I said to you, and I'll say it publicly on the pod, I'm probably gonna buy myself a pair of Kipchoge Alpha Flies more so as an art piece than as a actual <laughs> performance piece like i just like the way they look and i like kind of the legacy that they stand for so i think i'm probably going to buy them and just have them like on my wall as a as a this 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 shoe has kind of redefined what we understand in marathon racing as i've sort of began, yeah kind of what you understand to be possible yeah, yeah as as i've sort of began to began to really learn you know competitive running and learn what fast mileages and all this sort of stuff and, and how that has kind of helped my mindset and things like that so that's where i stand on them is i actually see them as something that's a little bit more significant than oh he's cheating because he's wearing funny shoes um so i'm still going to end up probably buying a pair and then if i get an opportunity like a snetterden 10k or something i'm going to blast those bad boys out and go for it whack them on and run sub 30 Hell Love yeah. it. so anyway moving away from shoes and back to the marathon that this pod is supposed to be about um the british race that was an interesting race as well and it was between two new balance athletes so johnny meller got the win in the end in 10 and uh, 210 38 which backed up his 21003 from seville in january and i think that puts him in very very good stead for selection for the olympics i think and again we should mentioned this race was not the british olympic trials it was the british championships but it was not the olympic trials there's talk of them having a separate event later on kind of in early next year february march kind of time which again like i think no matter what happens in that race 
unless two other guys go out and run significantly quicker than Johnny Mellor, they'd be foolish not to pick Johnny Mellor for the Olympic team. Just, yeah, I don't know. They've pre-selected Callum Hawkins. I would, to be honest, I'd like to see Johnny Mellor selected ASAP. I think he's proved himself. He's had two absolutely cracking runs. He's clearly consistent. He's clearly motivated. And yeah, I think he deserves to be an Olympian. Yeah, definitely. Well, you have to look at the... I think the other thing as well is that you have to go off the strength of the performances relative to the environment. And after everything yesterday, for him to still be able to have a confident race, and I use kind of careful language, is the fact that he did run confidently and he did manage to, to like you say, become that first British athlete, given everything where you know people could have dropped out or where it could have been a lot slower like it could have been a lot slower and like you say to not get lapped and all that sort of thing it i think that all speaks volumes and if he's now not if his name isn't fluttering around in the uh, olympic selection committee or whoever makes those decisions you do have to question question who is cruel enough to then put them through the torture of another training camp and another marathon race (laughs) no exactly and it would be good to see him kind of just focus on the Olympics and just have that freedom that Callum Hawkins has been allowed to really kind of take your time with the build up, really make sure you're really, really ready for that marathon on the day. Yeah. But we'll see what they come out with. There'll be a selection policy released. Well, probably not as soon as we would like, but there will eventually be a selection policy released and then things will become a little bit clearer. Yeah. Somebody else who might be Olympic bound after this race and who ran the qualifying time is Ben Connor. So 2.11.20 on his debut. The Olympic qualifying time is 2.11.30. So made it makes it by the skin of his teeth. <laughs> and I have to say, that's that's a phenomenal marathon debut. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> anybody who can yeah get a time like that. I mean, what was it that when Callum Hawkins burst onto the scene, what um, and we sort of his name became part of the national conversation, you know, at kind of a level above your, you know, a level beyond your knowledge into my kind of knowledge what did he run was that like a 214 or something that he ran to kind of really burst onto the scene um i i want to say it's more it was more of a 212 i mean when he really burst onto the scene in kind of when someone like yourself would have heard of him was probably when he finished fourth at the world champs in london uh and i think that was a 210 run there yeah. so so to, to yeah be able i to mean debut at a similar sort of level you know it's um it does speak volumes as to see the athlete that callum hawkins has obviously become um yeah you do have to draw parallel i would say oh absolutely and the marathon is an event that you definitely learn and what's exciting about ben connor is that yeah he's been he's been able to execute like that in his first marathon and also he's got a lot more track speed than callum hawkins going into it i mean he's got you can see a sprint he's got a (laughs) <laughs> well not even a sprint finish it's just if you well it plays into logic that if you have greater track speed then you should be more comfortable at your marathon speed or at a higher marathon pace if that makes sense yeah you know what i mean there yeah definitely well so yeah, definitely potentially ben connor has a higher ceiling whether he'll fulfill that potential like we never know and callum hawkins we know is an incredible marathon racer like he can perform on race day in the marathon which is why I'm quite excited to see what he does in the Olympics. I think he does have a a really, really realistic shot at making that podium and potentially getting a medal. But yeah, I can't see when I can't see why Ben Connor shouldn't be able to get himself in the Olympic team when that selection policy comes out and we find out what the actual process is going to be. But yeah, he's had a solid debut. He's bagged himself a qualifying time. And like, let's not forget if this was the Olympic marathon trials for the British men, Johnny Mellor and Ben Connor would be on the plane 
with <laughs> yeah. Callum Hawkins because they would have finished in the top two with a qualifying time. That's automatic selection. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, you'd like to hope yeah. that whatever event they put on next, you just you just like to hope that good fate would intervene that the next event they do, assuming they don't get automatic selection and we do have this future event, is that we will have to have another event and hopefully you'll have more conditions and maybe the course will be less favourable or will be more favourable rather with maybe with some more straight lines um, and it won't be windy and cold and horrible. And, and yeah, hopefully, if you say, if they have that same, I don't know what the word is, but if they have that same ability to to taper correctly and really peak at the right time for race day then basically yeah basically if they can replicate that kind of performance on the day exactly yeah. and then they might even have a, fair, a faster time and a, yeah, and a great day yeah yeah exactly and that could then you know give them an extra kind of a boost in performance and b boosting confidence to then improve what performance they might potentially be able to have at the olympics themselves so yeah it may end up being a blessing in disguise and plus, this does give a little bit of excitement and another little chance to some of the other runners that might be able to upset them and steal that kind of Olympic pace in away from them, kind of similar to how it works in the US Marathon Trials. One of whom is obviously my coach, Chris Thompson, who we haven't talked about yet. He finished fourth in that race in a 2.13.32, which I haven't actually spoken to him yet, but I'd imagine he'd be probably fairly happy about that. Well, I read on his, because I follow him on Instagram, and he did put a post up on Instagram saying that he's kind of, it's glad it's over, but at the same time, he kind of enjoys the pain of it in, a, in that way. He sort of, he said, I think he said he's glad that he's over, but he can't wait to do it again. Um, yeah, exactly. Which and I think probably that, suggests that his that spirits will, aren't broken completely. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely not. I think that will actually probably provide him more hope than, than anything, because I don't think you'll mind me saying his last two marathons haven't gone particularly well. Um in major big city marathons that he's run he's all he's sort of ended up struggling in the later stages for whatever reasons injuries fueling just sort of hitting the wall general marathon whatever you want to call it cramps just marathon stuff basically yeah um and yeah ended up running in sort of the mid to high 220s in those ones so i think to get a good performance i think that's his second fastest ever marathon he has his personal best is under the qualifying time uh it's 211 mid something he's run under the qualifying time before so if he can get back to that level of performance yeah he could be someone to really shake it up and potentially nick one of those qualifying times from ben connor or johnny Meller. another one who could potentially get in there and shake things up if there is a trial is josh griffiths now he was third in this british race in the british champs race at london yesterday and he was two uh two thirteen eleven which db by about a minute i think from him um i know his pb is around 214 and i know he ran it in last in london last year because i paced him to it um, but yeah no, he's uh he's rapidly improving he's improved over the half marathon and the 10k this year i think running 63 low in the half about 28 40 in the 10k proper proper road runner hates the track probably doesn't really like the cross either but yeah. proper 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 marathon runner and i don't see why he wouldn't have another you know 19 seconds to two minutes to get close to that qualifying time and yeah challenge challenge those top two for a place at the olympics well again the shout out as well sorry i was just going to say it speaks volumes for an athlete like him if you say that he improved his pb this year versus last year you think how nice the conditions were for a marathon in london last year obviously you were there on the course um versus how they were this year to be able to get a pb that dramatic uh, you know that really does show how much improvement he's made in a year. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think, I think the conditions yesterday for most people, I think it could, it could be that extra minute that they're looking for. Yeah. It's just, it was just taken by the conditions, just by it being an absolutely brutal, kind of freezing cold, pouring with rain. I mean, he's, he's a Welsh lad and he's probably not used, he's probably used to that sort of thing. He probably trains through much, much worse probably done grim long runs i know he was out training in font remote which isn't the warmest place in the world either but yeah. yeah no huge huge props to him for that run and another great run was charlie holson who finished fifth in the um, british men's race only his second ever marathon he ran a, yeah well <laughs> did you hear that I just went through puberty a little bit there <laughs> he um <laughs> he was fifth he ran a pb by about a minute as well um his pb was 214 from berlin last year uh but he came here with a the 213.34, so quality run there from him. Another interesting note about kind of how brutal the, the conditions were there as well. Only 29 finishes out of 39 starters in the men's elite race. Yeah, 10 so, people, yeah. Yeah, 10 people dropping out, almost a quarter of the race. That's 70, well, over a quarter of the race. That's 74%. Finishing of, yeah. the, of those who started actually finished. So yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? It is. It is a crazy, 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 crazy day. Um, I just have a last couple of notes on this because I'm just I'm conscious that we've been on for an hour and a quarter now. Um, what... We have been rambling. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, one thing. First thing I was going to say. I'm 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 going to finish it off with a with a with a final question for you. Okay, I think that's what we do. I've got my one question here, which I'll ask you, which is just very. It's just a very quick little note of interest and something that it's a name that listeners will enjoy to speak about is one what did you think of mo as a pacemaker i thought he looked like he had a lot of fun with no pressure i think he, yeah, he no, was I probably agree. a really good person to have as a pacemaker because it was probably quite spiritually uplifting for everyone absolutely no he was i think he did a really good job and you could see he was sort of very very relaxed at that pace and he, probably could have kept going for quite a bit longer yeah he looked um, relaxed but yeah he looked, he looked like, like he was, he was having fun with it well, yeah yeah and i think that would have been a huge help similar in the way that i was a help to jack pacing him on the bike i think it would have been a similar effect for him helping out with ben connor and with josh griffiths who were in that group as well and chris thompson as well like they all have trained together in the past and know each other fairly well and he's quite matey with them all i think so yeah, I think that was probably really helpful for them. And perhaps that was why the likes of Ben Connor and Josh Griffiths had such huge kind of breakout runs and ran, you know, a great debut and a massive PB. And yeah, yeah I mean, they probably at least owe him a pint. <laughs> yeah. What do you reckon? Can you see Can you see Mo doing it again? As he has sort of said that maybe the marathon's not for him, can you see him pacing again and doing that same sort of role to help the the next generation as it were it'd be great if you did see it yeah um honestly all i can say to that is i hope so yeah my theory my theory about why he was drafted in as a pacemaker for london this year is that i'm pretty sure he has some type of contractual obligation to be there in some way shape or form yeah and because he wasn't ready to run the race that was the way that he was there but yeah. that is pure speculation from me. Um, that's not from an inside source or anything like that. That's pure speculation. But yeah, I don't know. I, I hope so. I'm not banking on it, but I'd like to see him there. It'd be great if he could, you know, if he would be kind enough to give back basically to the to the British the British elite in that way. Because yeah, um, obviously it was really helpful to all of those five guys that we've mentioned there and a couple of others who maybe had yeah, not so good days. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Last thing that we'll say as well is our predictions were pretty all over the place in terms of how successful we were, but we did absolutely nail on the British men's race. Hey, so well, you did. I didn't. We're good for we're good there. for something. <laughs> yeah, Excellent. No, we didn't. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's round it off. I've got my final question for you. And so far, it's a name that's completely evaded us. But this is my final Ooh, go on. This is my final question. What Your final, you... final question. Not like, that, not like the last final question that we just did. No, 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 no. What do you think? <laughs> what, sat in his hotel room, watching the television, what do you think was going through Kennedy Bikisi... Well, I can't even say his name. Kennedy Bikili's <laughs> mind... As he watched that whole thing unfold, what do you think was going through his head? I wonder if he even watched it, to be honest. Just what? I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's just say he did watch it. And let's just say, yeah, he was really paying attention and stuff like that. I think, first of all, when you're, when you're injured and when you know you can't run, you know there's nothing you could do about it. So it is sort of kind of eh like you're not really too worried about it but yeah someone with his track pedigree and his speed yeah he probably would see that as a missed opportunity and the fact that he saw obviously you know it, it was it just seemed crazy like the fact that obviously this was billed so much as one v the other and those were the only two that could possibly have stood a chance and then yeah for obviously the events to unfold in the way that they did i bet yeah if he did do you reckon he was just sat there kicking himself just going like i can't but do you reckon he was just sat there just going, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, I can't believe it? <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, I'd say he was probably about as surprised as the rest of us. Um, I mean, he'll know Katata, he'll know the guy who won. Um, oh, actually, They're yeah. both Ethiopian, well, and they probably do a fair bit of training together. Well, that was that was interesting, um, actually. Something you've just reminded me is um, something that they did say as they interviewed Katata yesterday he did actually say Kennedysa sort of was giving him a load of insights and like telling him what to expect from the marathon and sort of talking to him about strategies that he's used in the past. So they said that even though Kennedysa wasn't running, he backhanded kind of had an influence on the result. Yeah, no, I can see that for sure. Yeah, and I wonder how much Kipchoge maybe did or didn't mentor Kipchumba because he, yeah, he was racing. He didn't really... <laughs> like, he was not in a position to be doing that, but yeah, I don't know. I I'd like to see both Kipchoge and Bekele back, and I would like to see that big face off at some point. Although, I think if it doesn't happen in the next year or two, we do risk run the risk of one or both of them being a little bit past it. So yeah, well, this is it, and these are all questions now that now that the cracks have shown. Um, yeah, what what will we have to see? What will happen next? You know, we can only wait and see. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know what? Just get checked to guy in the marathon. That's, oh, I can't wait. I can't one. wait. Yeah, I can't wait to see him in the marathon. It's going to be nuts. Well, we might have to. We might have to be doing another shotgun podcast episode because he might break the world record in a few days for the ten thousand meters. So well, let's look forward to that. I know there's a fast five k tonight with Callum Hawkins, um, Eric Jenkins, and a few other really good, fast, fast, fast guys. So plenty of athletics to look forward to and running things and stuff like that which i don't know if we thought that we would have quite this much to talk about you know three four months ago so yeah, yeah well, things are looking good things are looking good well in that case then i think there's a way to to round it off so have you got many plans for the rest of the day you got any runs or anything that you need to go out and do i'm gonna go out for a little hour jog um just now and then just recovery head to work and then hopefully decent session tomorrow i assume you will be resting to the nth degree 
Yeah, honestly, do you know what? There was the cheeky part of me that goes, I should just go out for a run just for the crack today. Um, but I feel like if I did get going for a run, that crack would probably be in my actual bones. So I should probably rest up. Um, my, Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> my intention is to take it incredibly easy and then basically just spend pretty much as much as I can just like eating vegetables and drinking beer, like just to try and get the healthiness back into my system throughout the day and then just get quite drunk to for the evening. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty solid plan. Celebrate with right, a Well, I'll leave you to that and we'll leave our listeners alone because they've been listening to us for far too long. Really again. definitely long enough. Yeah, far too long once again. We've got off on many, many tangents as we are yeah. ones to do. Excellent. Right. Well, Go on, let me let me close it off. I've got the nice microphone. You need to go shopping. <laughs> oh, go on then. Thank you once again, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed your marathon experience, whatever that was, whether that was running it in bits like me, whether that was actually going out and monstering it like Jack, or whether that was you were stood in your sat in your cozy armchair with a blanket and a hot water bottle watching the elites do their thing. But uh, uh, it was a great day all in all. And like we've said, fingers crossed, the next London marathon should be a little bit more normal than, uh, than this year was. So thanks once again to everybody, and we'll see you again soon.